Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Everybody has a favorite Christmas movie, right? Please tell me. You could name it right now, right? I feel like um, there's always like Christmas music or a Christmas movie or just like the marking of your tree going up, it like denotes the beginning of Christmas season every year, right? (laughs) Every good Christmas movie seems to have a really memorable mission, right? You might not know it, but there's like an epic mission between, but like behind every good Christmas movie, and I'm going to prove it to you. Are you ready? This is your quiz. So I want you to name the mission behind the following Christmas movies. How about this guy right here, all right? Clark Griswold, what is he doing with that extension cord? What's his mission? He's going to light up the world, right? Yeah, Clark Griswold's going to light up the world. What about Arnold Schwarzenegger as Howard in Jingle All the Way? This is like epic from my childhood. What is he after? Yes, Turbo Man, the Turbo Man doll, right? How about good old Ralphie? I know you all know this one. What's he have his eye on? What's his Christmas passion? Yes, the Red Ryder BB gun. And I know you all know this one. Mrs. McAllister. What is her mission on Christmas? Kevin! Kevin is her mission. And last but not least, my personal favorite, Elf. What's his mission? Daddy! I'm here now. Daddy! And guess what? I love you. I love you. Okay, no, I'll stop right there. (laughs) But isn't it true? Like every good Christmas movie has a really good mission behind it. Because what is it about like having a focus or a mission that creates like passion and creates movement? And just like every good movie has a mission, I feel like businesses, right, every good successful business has a very clear, concise mission. I bet a lot of you could tell me what the mission of the companies you work for are. I know every school year, um, our superintendent asks us to create a new mission statement, personal mission statement. Um, and I think just like crumble cookie, all right, they know what they are doing. They're not trying to create all the best baked goods, right? They just focus this in on like the best cookie. Same thing with Starbucks, right? They've got you at that little red Christmas cup with the perfectly crafted Christmas drink, right? And Chick-fil-A, they are not trying to make you any kind of sandwich or any kind of what they're making you the best. Chicken, chicken, and rather you like to eat your carbs in a tortilla shell or you would rather have them in a bowl, Chipotle is going to build you the best burrito, right? You see, all these businesses, all these movies, they have missions, clear, concise missions, and in Genesis, it tells us that we were created in the image of God. So it should come to no surprise that maybe we get that from our Father, right? Maybe we get that from God. And God's mission since the beginning, well, the beginning of time-ish, right, from the Garden of Eden has been on us. 
from that very moment that he gave Adam and Eve the opportunity to choose between his will and their will. And that perfect relationship that God had designed for us was broken. There was a gaff created from there through the rest of time. And that has been God's mission. I loved, absolutely loved this sermon series. In week one of the sermon series, we learned that God by his nature, just like we discussed, is, is mission. And we learned about that through his relationship with Abraham. In week two, last week, if you were here, we talked about how God on his mission to restore this relationship with us, he uses people, right? He used leaders. He uses all of us. He used people from the beginning of time until this point. And so we think of some leaders, like we talked about Abraham. What are some other biblical leaders or people that come to your mind? David. Maybe Noah. Moses. Joshua, right? I mean, how about his disciples? And Mary? See, he's used people not just then, but he uses people now to help fulfill his mission. And then we're going to look at this week. And this week is, is basically mission accomplished. How? Well, he saw that all of these people were doing their best to help other people understand who God was and how we could have a better, like, better relationship with him. But ultimately, people missed the mark. So God needed to do something only God himself could do, right? And come as the world's best leader. So today we're going to read from Isaiah. It's not your typical Christmas scripture because Isaiah is found in the Old Testament. So we're going to go to the Old Testament to read about this perfect leader. But really, as I studied, it, does, it doesn't make sense to read this scripture without looking at where Isaiah was. The time, the place, what was going on in the world around him when he gave this prophecy in Isaiah 53. So we're going to look at some of the geopolitical happenings that were going on in the time of Isaiah. And I think that then when we read the scripture, it's going to kind of make a little bit more sense as to why God gave Isaiah this prophecy. You see, Israel and Judah, they used to be one piece. When they were under King Solomon, they built the temple. They were a major world power, and they were at peace with the people around them. Israel and Judah were one. It was a good time for Israel. That was until, well, King Solomon died. And then they were on the hunt for a new leader, another king that was as good as King Solomon. In the meantime, Israel started to fall apart. They didn't have a good leader, and so the civil war broke out. And so Israel actually broke up into two different nations, the northern half, which kept the name Israel, and the southern half, which became Judah. And while they were busy fighting, Assyria appeared to the northwest, or the northeast, pardon, became the world's next power. All right? And as they bickered, they started coming down started to attack Aram, Israel, and eventually Judah. 
So Abraham and Israel did what they should, and they made an alliance that said, we need to be friends to keep each other safe. And despite the conflict Israel had with Judah, Israel decided to go to Judah and say, hey, will you be in alliance with us too? But Judah wanted nothing to do with that. Judah went to wicked king in Assyria and made an alliance with him, and that was kind of the beginning of the fall of Judah. Assyria then did what they could. They took off both Aram and Israel and took over those nations. So where does this leave Judah? Well, King Ahaz, he double-crossed Israel. He brought idolatry into the company, and he ultimately led Judah completely astray. King Hezekiah came into the picture, and he was a better king. He removed public idols and had a good relationship with the Lord, but ultimately, at the end of his reign, he did a bad faith move for a better political place, and it didn't end up well for uh, Judah. Where does this leave them? Well, they're alone. The two countries to the north of them had been taken out by the bad guys, all right? They were susceptible And ultimately, what is going on in Judah? They're lost. They're alone. This is not a good time to be there. They're looking for hope. And in their situation, they were looking for hope in a king. A weary world. Doesn't that sound familiar? Judah was a weary world. So as we look at this prophecy, this prophecy from Isaiah, keep in mind that he was living 700 years before Christ was born in a weary place. And this is the word that God gave him. Let's read Isaiah 53, 1 through 5 together. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. You see, Isaiah was a prophet, and prophets were men, all right, that were used by God in the Old Testament. And what God would do is he would speak to them, and then they would be kind of like an intercessor. They would go to the king or to the people of the country and give them what the words were that God had given him. Now, oftentimes, this isn't like, hey, I think God's going to do this, or I think this is going to happen in the world, so you might want to know this. Prophets gave very detailed descriptions on what would happen, usually in the short term. And then they were proven time after time, right? So Isaiah's legitimacy with the king and the kingdom was known, that this guy knows something, and he's reputable. Um, And so technically, these prophecies were usually very short-term. In this case of this prophecy, like I said, this prophecy was made 700 years before Christ came to earth. But you know what? That is the word God knew 
that that weary world needed to hear, that there was going to be a savior that was coming for them, a king that was coming for them. Let's look at this and, and kind of break it down by the verse. So verse one says, he grew up like a tender shoot, a root out of dry ground. Let's look at a picture that really reminds me of this. My science mind could sit on this for a while, but I promise I won't do that to you, okay? Because see, I am not a good gardener. I raised two children, but I don't raise plants well, okay? But this past spring, I decided I was going to try to grow some herbs for my cooking, like some mint and some cilantro and those, those things that are just healthy to have, like at your fingertips outside of your kitchen window. Um, and when I was trying to grow them, and I saw one of these little sprigs pop out of the ground, I was like, I did it. Right? Actually, they never grew full term to plant. I actually had no herbs, no nothing. But it, the, 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 the sprouts coming out of the ground, you know what that did give me? Hope. Right? Because look at that ground. That ground doesn't look like it's going to grow a whole lot of anything. But that little tiny plant represents hope. It talks about its roots out of dry ground. What does a root bring to a plant? Water, minerals. It brings life, right? And so I think it's so interesting that God gave those exact words to Isaiah, was that it doesn't matter what's going on in this world around you. I'm going to give you hope that doesn't look like the rest of the world around you. Let's go into verse two. It says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. I mean, nothing sounds fancy like a stable, all right? And a lot of you are like, oh, but the Christmas story, it's like intimate. It was Bible time. Like they didn't have all of this stuff, like heat and lights and Wi-Fi, right? So like that was probably not as rustic as you would think. Well, let me tell you, we went to the Columbus Zoo this week to look at Christmas lights with Mila's school, and we were on the way up to like Santa Land by the polar bears, and so we're trekking up that hill if you've ever been to the Columbus Zoo, and on the right-hand side as you go up the hill is a barn with usually a bunch of goats and sheep and farm animals that you can like kind of pet during the summer. You might be able to do it in the winter, but I just try not to go in there for obvious reasons, because as we walked by in the winter, there's not heat, okay? You could smell all of the smells of that stable clear from like the walkway, which was not necessarily close by. So Jesus was not just born in, in a, like a rugged terrain lifestyle. I mean, he's born in a barn of poop, you know? Like, there's really nothing beautiful about that. And, and all throughout Jesus' life, he didn't grow up even in, in riches, in palaces. He lived and grew up in a very humble and economic status. Let's keep going. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one, from, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our unique 
iniquities. And the punishment that has brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Does it give you a little bit of goosebumps to think that this was written 700 years before he was born? And such a detailed account that there's no denying that this takes us from the stable to the cross. So that these people in Judah didn't have to be sitting there hurting, hopeless. You see... God saw these people in Judah alone, full of fear. They were surrounded by their enemies. They're looking for hope. They were looking for a king. And God over here, by his, his nature of mission, wanting to restore that relationship, comes marching after them. I, I just always like think of it in this, my mind this way. It's like, from the garden, we've always been like trying to figure like this out by ourselves. Well, God is just kind of like, I've had this figured out for a long time. You've been on my mind since the day you were born. And you know, the sin that was chosen in the garden, the sin that was chosen by the people in Israel, the sin that was chosen by the wicked kings, and the sin, guys, that we choose today was the cost of that free will. Because for some reason, we sometimes think that we just happen, we, we know better. We can see better. We've got this figured out. But in all reality, some of these things are kind of familiar with us. Have you been familiar with pain? What about grief, brokenness, suffering? Have you experienced any of those? Have you, do you have anyone that you love that's experiencing those? Because, see, those things don't just happen for no reason. They happen because sin enter, entered that picture. And that we slowly, our hearts, begin to yearn for something different. They, they hope for something different. You see, God doesn't like sin, but you know what God even likes even less is the consequences of sin. I don't like it when my girls break the rules that I have for them. I, I was that kid, all right? I didn't understand rules. So as a mother, I feel like I'm pretty... I put it all out there. I'm like, all right, you can do this, this, and this, and this, and you're going to this way. So that's why I make this rule. Because unless you want to go to Target and run out in the aisle and of, of the parking lot and get hit by a car, you want things to end that way for you? No, all right, then stay by my side. I try to explain to my kids, in the, in the Bible, God explains a whole lot to us as to why we should be obedient to it. But there's something about the consequences. When the consequences of my daughter's mistakes hit them, and I see those tears. I know those rules are so good, and I know they need to feel what they're feeling, but nothing breaks my heart more than when I see those tears down their eyes. And I can't help but think 
that that's what God has been feeling for us this whole time. God wanted nothing but the best for us. He didn't want us to feel alone. He didn't want us to feel hopeless. He didn't want us to feel hurt or abandoned or wrecked or broken or embarrassed. So he knew he had to bring the best in the redemption business. He had to bring the perfect sacrifice and the perfect king in Jesus. I heard this story, and I just wanted to share it with you today. There was this girl, her name was Amber, and she lived uh, in a modest apartment and worked at a local department store during the holidays. She had learned that her grandmother had recently been diagnosed with a condition that would take her life if she didn't start taking this medication daily. Amber had learned that this medication that her grandma needed was incredibly difficult difficult to find and highly costly. So her grandmother gave up the search looking for this medication very early on, knowing that if she did find it, that she couldn't afford to ever make that purchase. Like any of us, that broke Amber's heart. Knowing that there was an opportunity to save her grandma, even if it was near impossible, um, she decided that that was worth a pursuit for her. So Amber picked up extra hours at the local department store, working all across, you know, all across the clock hours, and then that wasn't quite enough. So she went to a local factory and started a third shift job as well. She looked into different nonprofit organizations and foundations, someone that could help her locate this medication and make the purchase that might be necessary to get this life-saving medication for her grandma. She worked day and night. She gave up, you know, lazy nights on her couch and fun nights out with her friends. Um, but it was all worth it because in late November, she received a call from a local nonprofit she had been working with. And they let her know that that medication was available for purchase, but that she'd have to do so pretty quickly before it was out of stock. So Amber looked at her bank account, um, and with all the money she had saved, she had just barely cleared the funds that she would need to make that purchase. So she joyfully went online, got all her information typed in, and just when she clicked, you know, that all-familiar submit button to make the purchase, she knew in the back of her mind exactly when she wanted to give that medication to her grandma. Every single year on Christmas Eve, her grandma threw an elaborate celebration. Like, the food was delicious, her home was always decorated to the hilt, and it was just always a fun night that everyone looked forward to, to just be with family um, and celebrate. There was only one restriction that Grandma gave every single year, which she wanted everyone to come without stress of, of the hustle and bustle of gift-giving. She, so she asked that no one bring gifts, and especially no one bring gifts for her. But Amber knew, because this year was different, she was facing something different, she was going to turn the story around and bring this medication with her on Christmas Eve and give it to her grandma. So she wrapped it up and brought it with her on Christmas Eve. It was in a beautiful little package. And she walked in and set it under the tree very discreetly. And throughout the night, like, conversations were happening, and she was kind of paying attention to them, but just couldn't stop thinking about the moment she could give that to her grandma. 
finally, they're passing out gifts, you know, their routine. And she kept like eyeing the present under the tree, seeing, you know, where it is, has it been distributed yet? And finally, one of our cousins picked it up and read the tag. And they kind of raised their eyes in knowing this was kind of out of tradition and said, well, grandma, this one is for you. Her grandma looked at the gift and turned her head. Now, this is not part of the tradition, she said. I refuse to accept this gift, but I do appreciate your sentiment. As I prepared for today and prayed through today and shared with my husband this story, he looked at me and he said, that's where the story ends. And I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, man, didn't she try to explain? She could have opened it for her. She can't say no to this gift because surely if she knew what was in it, she would open it. There was life in that gift. I mean, sometimes it's curiosity that gets us to move, right? But maybe it was stubbornness or pride. Sometimes it's tradition. Grandma had never opened presents before. Maybe she wasn't used to receiving. She didn't want the eyes on her and she didn't maybe know how she would respond. It was unfamiliar to the norm. Can you imagine how Amber felt? There was so much love in that gift. So many hours, so many things sacrificed just to be passed on. And you know, maybe that's some of us today or someone we know. You see, this gift of mission accomplished, it was fought for. It was paid for. It was delivered and it was wrapped in a manger in the perfect timing. You see, God's mission in Jesus is accomplished, but it's not complete until we receive it. He wants us to receive that gift of hope, of love, of peace that passes all of our understanding. We just have to have the courage. We have to have the courage to just receive the gift, to just open it, even if it's not normal, even if we don't know what it looks like, if we haven't ever opened that gift. And some of us may have opened that gift today, but you know what? It doesn't end with opening. Because when you open something that you're excited about on Christmas Day, you don't keep it a secret, do you? You share it. You have to have the courage to share it. I could never wait to go to my grandma 
Christ's house on Christmas Day and meet my cousins because we would all be so excited to share about what we got for Christmas. We'd bring some of our things and share some of our things. I mean, it is just the prayer of my heart this morning that I could have that much joy, that much courage to take the gift to Jesus to people this season, to people this week. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time today and you're like, that's really cool, Shelly. I kind of, I'm cool with opening it, I guess. Like, I'll receive the gift, but I don't really know how to do that. And the cool thing about God is there is not a script that you need today to receive that gift. There's no magical words that you need. All you have to do is say yes. Yes, Lord, I accept you as the leader of my life. I resign as that. You know, I've been really trying hard because I'm a good person and I try to do good things, right? But I kind of have been screwing up a little bit, as we as humans do. So God, I think I'm going to try this. And you know what? You don't need to know what it looks like because he'll show you. He showed me. And he'll show you each step of the way. But today is just having the courage to accept that gift. In this season at the Valley Troy, we're kind of working on what it looks like to practice responding to God. Because a lot of times we sit here and maybe our hearts are beating really fast or you sweat. Or if you're like me, you're like, oh man, that's me. And I start thinking about what could I do? What do I need to do differently? And so we've been practicing at the Valley Church of, of how we can respond to God. And so we have some new prayer benches up front. And maybe today it's, you just need to come to these prayer benches and just and say that prayer. And just surrender as the leader of your life and hand open that gift, receive that gift, and let God be the leader of your life. We have candles both to the right and the left of the room, and maybe today you've made that decision. And you're like, I am, I'm making that decision. I surrender. I see the hard work that went into Amber's gift, and I cannot imagine turning down something so life-giving. And you're going to light a candle today to represent that new step, that new walk, that commitment, that unfamiliar. And maybe today you're going to light that candle like I am because I want the courage to ask someone I know that I've needed to ask for several weeks now to come to Christmas Eve with me. But you see, I've been denied and I've been rejected and I've been said no to, I've been embarrassed. But I don't want to lose the courage in offering someone that life. Just one more time. This might be the time they needed it. So maybe that's what you're gonna light a candle for today. Maybe you wanna go to the cross. What a better place to receive Christ as a leader of your life than at the cross today. And maybe you'll go to the cross not to just receive him as a leader of life, but maybe you're going to leave something there today. Maybe you're going to post uh, pride on that cross today. 
or tradition or discomfort on that cross today. Maybe today as we sing, before we leave, you're going to sing not just from your mouth, but you're going to sing from your heart. Because all of a sudden, this makes sense. This gift, this mission, it's for us, but it's for you. And lastly, Maybe for the first time, you're going to grab a communion cup. We have them again in the right and left. Even gluten-free options, so you can't use that as an excuse. Maybe you're going to take one of these today. You see, at the Valley Church, we don't say you have to be a member to take this. You just have to be a member of the family of God. And so maybe for the first time today, maybe you with your spouse, or you with your family, or you with a friend, or just you with God in a moment, are going to take this as a, as a first, as a first of many as you walk with him. And maybe, like me, you're going to take it, saying that you've suffered on that cross. God, I can surely offer that gift of life just one more time. You see, there's a couple things I do know. I know that you can't change your past. And you can't change how other people respond. But we do get the opportunity to choose how we respond and how we want to respond today. So let's stand. I want you to stand as Heather plays and we'll eventually sing. But please, stay in your seats. Pray at the prayer benches. Light a candle. Take communion. Respond to God as he calls your heart. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.